Today's episode is sponsored by the Paper Street Soap Company. You are not your job. You are not how much money you have in the bank. You are not the car you drive. You are not the contents of your wallet. You are not your fucking khakis. You are all singing, all dancing crap of the world. Clean the crap of the world off you with the Paper Street Soap Company. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 45 of the Hi-Hat Film Podcast with me, Michael Clancy. This week is a review special as we take a look at some of the films in British cinemas this week. With reviews of the downright bonkers Mad Max Fury Road, a royal romance in a royal night out, and the musical sequel Pitch Perfect 2. The reviews are taken from the 15th of May edition of my film show that I host on East Coast FM. Be sure to tune in on Fridays from 2pm Greenwich Mean Time on 107.6 FM. You can also listen online at ecfm.co.uk. And there's even a handy app on smartphones that allows you to listen live wherever you are. Alright, going to kick things off with our first review, Mad Max Fury Road. After 30 years, we return to the Wastelands with the long-awaited fourth instalment in the Mad Max franchise. Tom Hardy takes over the title role from Mel Gibson. Here's a little bit of the trailer from the film. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive. Set in the distant future where civilization has collapsed and people in souped-up armoured vehicles rule the road, Max is a scavenger in the desert when he is captured by the War Boys, where he is basically used uh, as a human blood bag. He eventually finds himself in the company of Charlie Theron's Furioso, who is smuggling a very special cargo in a fortified war rig. The only problem is she's being pursued by the entire War Boys army and their vicious leader, King Omortan Joe. Reluctantly, Max is Furioso's best chance of survival and agrees to help her on her mission. 
Now, there's been a lot of hype going into this film. I mean, even before its release uh, on social media all this week, it's been flooded with people just calling it like the film of the year and saying it's outstanding and brilliant. And I think it's important not to get too carried away. Too often when a film is overhyped, you go in and you're expecting one of the best films you've ever seen and you come away a little bit disappointed, even if the film itself is very, very good. So I think it's important not to get too carried away in the build-up because uh, then films have problems actually living up to the expectation. So I will say with Mad Max Fury Road, it's not the best film of the year. But I will say it is a very good film indeed. Coming out in a world where every franchise is getting this kind of slick reboot, uh, we have uh, what we have here is a film that can actually be considered an honest-to-goodness sequel, despite the fact that it's been 30 years or, or so since the last one. Uh, to start things off, you have George Miller directing. Now, he was the guy that did the first three Mad Max films, so nobody knows the franchise better than him, and getting him back on board is uh, really, really great. It's also a really nice touch getting Hugh... Hugh K. Byrne uh, involved as the lead villain. Uh, he, of course, played the toe cutter in the first Mad Max film. So it's a film that's filled with the lots of fun little throwbacks to the previous film. So it, it's a film that respects where it's coming from uh, more than anything else. And I, I think fans of the franchise will be glad to see all of those things thrown in there. So it's a film that respects where it's coming from. That being said, 30 years on from the last Mad Max film, it's fair to say that technology has come a long way. And this is something that director Miller is taking full advantage of, which means that these action sequences, and it has to be said, the film is made up of about 85% of nothing but action. Uh, the action scenes are absolutely phenomenal. They are relentless, they're brutal, they're unbelievably creative with the characters, with the weapons, with the high-speed pursuits, all done very, very well. It's also a film that looks stunning. I mean, it is incredibly gorgeous in the wide shots, but then when you zoom in and actually see the detail on all of the vehicles and all of the costumes, it's incredibly detailed as well. So it's a film that holds up in the long shots, but also when you get right in there, it looks absolutely stunning. Uh, lots of the effects were created practic practically, which I like. It means when it comes to all these cars driving about at high speeds and smashing and crashing into things and these explosions, you actually believe they're happening. You don't believe that it's somebody just sitting on a computer screen and, and making these cars explode. You believe that those cars are there and you believe it's all happening. So that absolutely makes a big difference as well. So in that respect, it does tick all the, the boxes in terms of a big action blockbuster. As well as that, it's nice to see for a film that does have such a big budget, you know, it's nice to see a film where the women have lots to do. In fact, a big part of the plot is about how women are refusing to be passive and they refuse to sit back and let men dictate their fate. And it's about them coming to arms. And I think all of that's great. And in fact, if you know the Mad Max franchise at all, you, you'll know that, they, that there's always been a strong role for the part of women. But it's something that doesn't really come up as often as you would think in your big blockbuster. So it's nice to see that there. Charlize Theron has a lot to do, but she is not the only one. So I was really glad to see all of that as well. There are a couple of holes in it. I I really, really like Tom Hardy as an actor. I do not think that he is particularly great in this role. I don't think he's fantastic as this man of fewer words. I mean, it seems like an easy thing to do to show up and look gruff and not say an awful lot, but it's actually a lot harder than it seems. And if you go back to something like Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, you really see how Mel Gibson kind of commanded that presence. I mean, however you feel about Mel Gibson, and I know he is a controversial character, he does a great job in that film where he only has about 16 lines, but he manages to portray all that you need to know about his character. And it's easier said than done, and I think Hardy struggles with it. I mean, and we've seen him in things where he doesn't speak a lot, like in the Batman films, but the mask seems to help him with that. But here, yeah, a little bit of a struggle. 
At other times, despite there being a lot of really good characters, I, at times I did struggle with the character arcs uh, not being as fleshed out as you would like them to be. So you just get times where characters kind of make decisions and there's not really been enough on there to, to believe that they're making an honest choice. You, you needed a little bit more to flesh that out. So, I mean, these aside are minor nitpicks. As I say, in terms of action blockbuster cinema this is about as good as it gets in terms of that it's it's ferocious it's raw it's really really gritty and i i have to say i enjoyed it i enjoyed it a lot i think i'm gonna go back and see it again and i think i will probably enjoy it more so don't believe the hype in a sense that this is going to be the greatest film and it will change your life it's a nice fun throwback it fits very nicely in a good uh, film franchise sequence as the fourth installment i i came away from it hoping for more from from the director George Miller as well which is something that doesn't happen with a lot of blockbusters so definitely definitely a lot of strong stuff there I would have to say I'm going to go out on a limb already and say Mad Max Fury Road is my film of the week so not the greatest film in the entire world but a very strong addition uh, in terms of blockbusters so check that out it's a 15 certificate Mad Max Fury Road it is in cinemas as of yesterday and it's going to be on a very very big release so definitely check that one out how do you know this place even exists? I was born there. So why'd you leave? I didn't. I was taken as a child. Stolen. You'd done this before? Many times. Now that I drive a war rig, this is the best shot I'll ever have. And them? They're looking for hope. What about you? Redemption. Alright, next up for review is A Royal Night Out, which is a plummy piece of revisionist history from director Julian Jarrold. It's a story of royal romance set at the end of World War II. Here's a bit of the trailer. The German war is at an end. Today is victory in Europe Day. It is such a special day, and for six years now we've been positively cloistered. Lilibet and I could go out into the crowds. We can't do that. One day, Elizabeth, you shall be queen. I know that, Bunny. But Margaret and I deserve to celebrate, too. Let them go. This might be the only chance she gets. We're going out incognito. Does the tiara rather give the game away, ma'am? Yes. Captain Price and Lieutenant Burridge will be your chaperones. Chaperones? They're going to escort you to the Brits and stay with you all night long. Time for a quickie, surely, sir. Two, please. Come on, Lilibet! Margaret! How do I stop the bus? Push that. Lizzie. Jack. Where now? Chelsea Barrett. Trafalgar Square. Soho. Cheers! Tonight, we're in charge. We can go dancing. Will be so cross. Where are they? I have to send out a search party. Let go of him! Do you? Princess Elizabeth! Princess. 
It's VE Day in 1945, and with the impending declaration of peace in Europe, there are mass celebrations on the streets of London. Amidst the revelry, young Princess Elizabeth and Margaret convince the King and Queen to allow them to go out and celebrate with the people on the streets of London. What should be a conventional night out at the Ritz for the pair turns into a night of excitement and chaos, and for Elizabeth, the future Queen, potentially romance. So... In a very roundabout and contrived way, this could be seen as a very loose and unofficial sequel to The King's Speech. I mean, that was a film that ended with uh, Colin Firth's King George announcing that the country is going to war. And this one picks up six years later with the impending announcement that Rupert Everett's King George uh, is going to announce that the, the war is over. So the film takes place in a euphoric London where there is literally a party going on in every street. In many ways, it's a very strange film, and not least because you have uh, Sarah Gandon cast as Princess Elizabeth, who of course will grow up to be our Queen Elizabeth. And the film is kind of pitched as a see this side of our Queen that you never knew existed. As she and, and the trailers kind of would have you believe that she's this kind of party animal. Although what the film actually shows is that she's actually always been this poised and thoughtful figure. So it's weird that it kind of plays up that it's going to show you this weird side of her, but at the same time, it's got to be on its best behavior because it couldn't possibly do anything to afford the queen to offend the queen add this to a potential love interest of this mysterious soldier that she meets and it's just a a rather daft piece of revisionist history what's also strange about the film is the tone i mean it took me about 20 minutes to really figure out that this was meant to be a bit of a farcical comedy as uh, princess elizabeth uh, keeps on trying to run around london trying to find her sister uh, princess margaret who really doesn't come across well in this film at all and she's played rather annoyingly as well by the actress playing her but she keeps missing her so it's all about the near misses so it's got a light touch to it the film but every now and again a character will stop and kind of gaze off into the distance and and talk about how hard everything's going to be in the future now that the war is over and how the future generations are going to have it so hard so it's got this very strange contrast in tone and you know as i say it It took me a while to figure out it was a comedy, and I think for me the biggest laughs came unintentionally when they weren't trying to be funny, which I think, you know, for a film that is going out to be a comedy, that is probably not what you want. I have to say I did struggle with this film. That being said, there probably is a market for it. You know, it's come out very close to VE Day. I'm, I'm not a royalist. I mean, I don't have any problem with the royal family. But, um, yeah, I'm not a royalist, so I don't think I'm really the target audience. I don't really have this desire to see this this other side of the royal family. So it could, there's probably fun to be had if you have an interest in the royal family and you don't mind a bit of silly revisionist history. I mean, the, the, it's not completely devoid of laughter, as I said, but most of it is unintentional. Um, so it, although the film does follow some of the similar characters and it's almost a continuation of the storyline from the king's speech it it, really it's a film that couldn't be further away in terms of style and tone you know this was this very worthy heavy oscar film that that looked at which which was a really real examination into a specific character this is a completely daft um sort of fun look at revisionist history so there's probably a market for it as i say if you if you have an interest in the royals and you want to see a a light and and throffy film quite close to ve day where people can occasionally kind of drift off and talk about how difficult everything's going to be this could be your the film for you but uh, i have to say it didn't work for me Uh, the film is a royal night out it is a 12a certificate and it's probably going to get a pretty wide release so you can catch that in cinemas from today so that's the second review of the day. I didn't think it was quite up to the same stuff as Mad Max Road, uh, Fury Road, but that being said, it is about as far away from that film as you can get in terms of your subject matter. But, you know, different strokes for different folks.
Disloyal and abusive to your sovereign. The king is ten times the man you are. He certainly is. Oh, come on, you're not buying this load of bollocks, are you? Shut up! Shut up! Nobody's gonna make me miserable today. I've waited too long for it. Sit down, The king! The king! Our final review of today's show is Pitch Perfect 2, which is in cinemas now. The Bard and Bellas are back for more amazing adventures in the follow-up to the massively successful 2012 musical comedy. Here's a bit of the trailer. We are coming to you live from the nation's capital where the Barton University Bellas are performing for the President of the United States on his birthday. I came in like a Oh no, she has no underwear on. Oh my God. We have a commando situation. She's turning. No. Brace yourself. She's coming. She's coming. The Australian singer gave the president a birthday gift from down under. The Bellas are suspended. You're being replaced by the European champions. Sound machine. How are we gonna compete with them? I'm not supposed to have any ideas. I'm the hot one. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm the hot one. If we win the world championships, will you reinstate us? If you win it. <laughs> oh ho ho! and Bellas. You are so tiny. Your team is like a how do you say that? A, a heated mess. A mess where heat is applied to it. So what once was a little messy is now even messier. <laughs> When I look back on this, I won't remember performing and competing. I'm going to remember you weirdos. Me too. Me too. Me too. Guys, there's going to be some haters out there. They're going to look at us, Team USA, and be like, why is the most talented one Australian? Who run the world? Following a nightmare performance in front of the US President, Anna Kendrick's Becca, along with the rest of the Bard and Bella's a cappella team, face expulsion from the National A Cappella Federation. Their only way to save their reputations and their legacy is to enter the international competition, where they face the formidable German team. So, the first Pitch Perfect film uh, turned out to be a massive uh, success. It got a lot of critical praise, as well as being a smash hit at the box office. So, a follow-up isn't particularly surprising. It's not surprising that we're getting this. Where, But whereas the first one kind of came out of nowhere and won a lot of people's hearts, this one, there's kind of the, an expectation to deliver, So, uh, which it puts pressure on it, which the first film, of course, didn't have. So, And like many sequels before, it 
doesn't quite deliver in the same way that the first one did. Um, like the first one, it is this mix of kind of crass humor with uh, these big, impressive musical numbers. And as it's a sequel, you know, there's always a sense that you have to go bigger. And uh, for in, in the ca- case of Pitch Perfect 2, there is an awful lot going on. So you, you have the Bellas competing in an international tournament. So it's not enough in the first film that they were competing at a national level. Now they're competing at an international level, which they, instead of referring to that as going to nationals, they're going to worlds, which I think is a pretty clever joke or it's really terrible writing. I haven't quite made up my mind on that. Uh, Along with that, you also have the subplot of Becca, Anna Kendrick's main character, starting an internship at a record label. So there's this sense that she's getting ready for the next chapter of her life. She's going to be leaving the group, dedicating less time to the group as she goes to focus on her career because she wants to be a music producer. Uh, You also have Rebel Wilson's Fat Amy, uh, who got most of the biggest laughs in the first film. She gets a bit more focus here with a romantic storyline. And on top of that, you also have new girl, Emily, uh, Emily, played by Hayley Steinfeld. And she is finding her place in the group. She kind of comes from a legacy and uh, is joining the group with a lot of high expectations she kind of has a romantic subplot in there as well so you've got many many plot lines going on there the biggest problem with all of that i mean there's nothing particularly wrong with each of those individual stories but the biggest problem is there's not really anything that brings all of those things together it feels like a lot of separate set pieces with very little narrative cohesion so it feels like you're jumping from skit to skit almost rather than watching a full complete film and it's a little bit disjointed in that respect Um, Like the first film, the comedy is very hit and miss. Uh, It's lacking some of the really big laughs from the original. Again, Fat Amy gets a lot of kind of the the best one-liners, as you heard from the clip. You've also got the the quiet talking Asian character who again drops in her funny one-liners. There is a rather embarrassing Hispanic character who pops up uh, and she has a lot of uh, kind of stereotypical lines which are not very good, it has to be said. I mean, when the film is bad, it is really bad. But again, that was kind of like the first film. Uh, When it was bad, it was really bad. But every now and again, you have this moment to flourish. Uh, I have to say the comedic highlight probably comes from Keegan-Michael Keyes who gets most of the laughs as Becca's boss at the record label. I think he does a really good job and I've seen him in some other things and he's a very, very strong comedic performance. David Cross pops up as this kind of acapella loving person as well and and that's all right as well and i love anything with john hodgman in it even though he's just in it for just a couple of seconds so it just about gets away with it from all of the goodwill built up from the first film i mean i have to say i didn't laugh a huge amount during this film but i didn't i wasn't enjoying i wasn't disliking the fact that i wasn't laughing i actually don't mind a lot of the characters here and i was i was happy enough to sit there as their final story unfolded so from that kind of perspective i thought it was okay so on top of that, of course, you do have the musical numbers, which are still very impressive. The German team had this kind of uh, clinical kind of technique to it, which uh, is very, very good. The, the Bellas themselves always put in those good ones. It also has a very a surprisingly heartfelt ending, I have to say. I mean, it's not quite going to bring a tear to your eye, but I did find it the ending to be suitably emotional so i think it does that very well all in all i think that it's those little things that kind of save it it is a it is a difficult film there are big big chunks where you think right this is not focused it doesn't really know where it's going it's just jumping from one scene to another which is definitely a problem but generally i thought it was okay so that's Pitch Perfect 2, again, kind of like the first one, hit and miss, but uh, but with with enough there uh, to, to keep you going, just less so than the first film. And as I said, it's a 12-year certificate and it's going to get a pretty big release. I would imagine that's going to be a pretty big one there. Um, it turns out, like, 
totally not good enough to be a music producer, which is cool and fun to know as I enter the rest of my life. Okay, I'm just gonna stop you right there. You're the most talented person that I know, and I've met three of the Wiggles. Intimately. Oh. Becca, do you know how awesome you are? You're Becca Effin Mitchell, okay? You're the big BM. That's you. You're awesome. Do you need some of my confidence? Because I could maybe tone mine down a notch. Yeah, okay. Then let me wrap some out. Oh, okay. Wait. I think you need a bit more. That comes from there. Okay, thank you. You just need that. I'm going to get you the good stuff now. No, I don't want butt confidence. I don't want your butt confidence. I don't want your butt confidence. No, I want to know. I want to know. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of the Hi-Hat Film Podcast. You can catch all our other episodes over on iTunes and at hihatfilmreview.tumblr.com. Be sure to check out our most recent Hall of Fame submission, in which I chat Whiplash with my guest Rob Fuller. If you'd like to be on the show making the case for a film that you really love, then drop me an email at hihatfilmreview at gmail.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at hihatfilmpod, and you can join in the fun and games over on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash hihatfilmreview. Thanks for listening. I'll leave you with the final words of poor old Donnie and the Big Lebowski. Are they going to hurt us, Walter? I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street and there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore!